It's lights out and away we go. Welcome to the Pit Straight. I'm Jack Swansea back once again as the host of this podcast and joining me this week is a new guest, aficionado of Sacramento sports and high mileage German automobiles, motorsports editor of Road and Track, Fred Smith. That's me. <laughs> if you like what Fred has to say, uh, all two words of it, uh, you can find him on the app no longer called Twitter. Uh, we promise it's no longer called Twitter at Fred Smith 914. You can follow me at Jack Swansea and Front Stretches F1 and IndyCar coverage at FS Open Wheel. That's letter F, letter S, and the words Open Wheel. So we brought Fred on the program this week or weeks for a special two-parter because, well, F1's in its summer break uh, after the conclusion of the Belgian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen is probably running iRacing Craftsman trucks at Talladega from inside his private jet somewhere, and we've still got a podcast to tape. So we're attempting to tackle a question worth debating for two weeks at least. What is the greatest race car of all time? And well, because this is an F1 show, we're at least going to start with Formula One. And this year's Red Bull RB19. Which is undefeated through however many races we've run so far. Uh, good enough 12. that Sergio Perez, 12, uh, plus two sprints, three sprints. Oh, I, I think it's three, but yeah. But either way, sprints don't really count for records. Uh, otherwise, we're going to have to do some really complicated thinking about how many cars Lewis Hamilton passed in 2021 in Brazil. Uh, I think this car being undefeated so fast that Sergio Perez can win in it, despite being in probably going to get fired during his contract form, is pretty impressive. Uh, all in all, you have to account for competition, and the competition had a full year to effectively trace last year's Red Bull design, and nobody could really effectively do it. Uh, we have seen Mercedes coming off uh, however many driver championships they've won since the introduction of Turbo V6s. We've seen Ferrari coming off a long run of almost good enough cars, including one last year that was significantly faster than the Red Bull for about six races. And we've seen McLaren coming off a pretty surprising turnaround of design improvements over the past four rounds. None of them can actually beat this thing. The best they can do is lead it for 10 laps uh, just before DRS opens up in damp conditions or before Max Verstappen remembers that he's supposed to win the race, or before Oscar Piastri remembers what happens uh, when you win in a McLaren, which is you get fired about six weeks later. That's the thing is we've been talking so much about kind of how boring and predictable F1 is this year. But if you look at the timing sheets, the field is closer together than maybe it's ever been. It's just that the Red Bull is always at the front of it. Um, and whether or not you want to say it's it's Verstappen being Verstappen or the Red Bull being the Red Bull, you've got to, at least recently, you've thinking about the Lewis Hamilton Mercedes years, you have to consider the driver and car as sort of a package deal. And in Verstappen's hands, that Adrian Newey designed Red Bull is pretty much unstoppable. It, I mean, if you think about it, he is, he is inevitable every time we have to wake up early and and flip on ESPN we know as we're going to be brushing the the sleep grit out of our eyes for two hours that we're going to be hearing the Dutch national anthem at the end of it and for Adrian Newey this is not exactly his first time around uh, same of course for uh, what was originally a Ross Braun run Mercedes team although obviously unlike Adrian Newey he does not design the cars uh, this is his second truly dominant run of cars at Red Bull, first being a few years with Sebastian Vettel, 
But the years with Sebastian Vettel, as effective as that car looked, he never won 12 races in a row. To start a season, never won 13 races in a row in total because nobody's ever run 13 races in a row in total. Now, this is the car with the most consecutive wins. Verstappen's on pace to get the most consecutive wins as a driver, unless either McLaren or his own teammate can stop him after the summer break. And we are going to start having to talk about this as the most dominant season of all time. But I still think until that happens, the most dominant season of all time is the MP44, uh, which, of course, when we're talking about the driver, has the advantage of having both Senna and Cross driving it and only has one loss, that loss being an absolute fluke. Uh, so you're talking about when, with two laps to go, Jean-Louis Lesser uh, ran into Senna so that uh, Ferrari could win the Italian Grand Prix just weeks after the death of Enzo Ferrari in 1988. Yes, uh, which personally, I think it would be very funny if Ferrari did that just, just as a fluke, just going to be a fun way to repeat history when we come out of the break. <laughs> um, or I guess it would be it would be a Williams driver, so it'd probably be Logan Sargent under those under those conditions. Or maybe Alex Albon's just fed up seeing Max Verstappen's face everywhere. <laughs> well, I think I think they're friends. They're friends. Um, they seem to be. Uh, Alex Albon seems to be more willing to be the guy who films the uh, the fake trial footage for the crash uh, in Silverstone 2021 than a normal person would be about that but so so the mclaren mp44 uh is the only f1 car that only lost once um and and i think like like the rb19 and uh, we each sort of pull the list of the cars that we wanted to talk about uh most of them have sort of one distinctive feature like the dual axis steering system on the mercedes w11 the the double diffuser on the on the braun gp but with both the MP44 and the RB19, there isn't really that sort of distinctive innovation, that one thing you can point to. And it is just sort of every little thing they did was perfect. Um, the thing about that I always, I'm always interested in with the MP44 is Honda designed an entirely new engine and McLaren designed an entirely new car for one year before the regulations were going to change, where most of the rest of the teams on the grid just sort of kept going with what they had knowing that turbos were going to be banned for 1989 and then mclaren and honda pull out the most dominant f1 car in history um autosport has already named it the greatest race car of the 20th century um so maybe they did our work for us but 93.8 percent race wins not even the 2016 mercedes that had a lot more races, that won more races overall, could beat that record. Although the RB19 is on track to do so. So the MP44 also has the most iconic look that you're going to get in an F1 car of that era, which I think helps its case in a way the RB19 does not. The RB19 very much looks like a generic car for the 2022 rule set in comparison to something more interesting like last year's Mercedes or uh, either of the last two Ferraris. Uh, but what really gets me about the MP44 is the fact that it is a early monocoque car, late manual transmission car, and just in before active suspension. So it is the perfect intersection of what makes a modern racing car with what keeps it so visceral and so far away from what we know today. That really makes it thrilling to see when you see one historic race, you see old footage of it. It seems like it's a very compelling thing to wrestle with and drive with. Again, like you said, last year of turbocharging. These are very difficult, strange cars to drive, 
and the two people who drove it were very difficult and strange people to comprehend. And, of course, had one of the great years of their epic rivalry in one of the great racing cars of all time. So and they believe the year started with the Senate disqualification. So it was a nice it, little hint of things to come. It did. Yes, it very much did. Um, a disqualification in Brazil, if I remember correctly. He had a great relationship with officials. Oh, oh he sure, surely did. Um, but just, just uh, maybe taking a step forward in time, uh, when we're talking about era-defining and sort of legend-defining Formula One cars, I propose the Ferrari F2002, which was... Ferrari, during the Schumacher years, had this strange habit of debuting their new cars like a few races into the season. So Schumacher uh, and Barrichello actually started 2002 driving the 2001 Ferrari. Uh, but once in, in the third race of the year, once Ferrari brought out the new car, it took 14 wins in 15 races and then won again uh, at the start of 2003. So one of the few uh, modern Formula One cars that was able to win in two different years. And if you're talking about dominant seasons, I mean, Verstappen broke the broke Schumacher's record of podiums scored in a single year last year in 2022. But Schumacher didn't finish off the podium at all in 2002. Ferrari scored as many points as the rest of the grid combined. And Schumacher's 11 wins from a 17-race season is pretty incredible. It, I, I do really think that you have to sort of, I'm not sure where the line goes, but when we talk about, we talk about on the NASCAR side of things, you divide between the modern era and pre-1972. And I think with the number of races in Formula One increasing so dramatically, that's a, that's definitely a consideration, the number of races, the strength of the competition, and even the point system changing somewhere between the mid 2000s and now. I'm not sure where you draw the line, probably 2010 when they changed the point system. Also, the F2002 was a year where Rubens Barrichello was in excellent form. And uh, I think they had, for one, two finishes, I think they were behind by percentage only the MP44, uh, which is something the Red Bull is not going to do this year. Uh, that helps its case. And I also think it helps the case of the car that is right when we're talking about that split between modern era and the past, which is the Braun GP BGP 001, also driven by a Rubens Barrichello in great form. Unfortunately for Rubens, it was driven by a Jensen Button in much better form at the same time. Braun GP is my favorite Formula One car of all time. And I don't I don't think that means I, I, maybe we can keep our personal biases out of, of this conversation, but the Braun GP designed sort of by Honda, then powered by Mercedes because of the financial crisis that happened at the end of 2008. Ross Braun bought the team for one pound and they just sort of slapped together a season good enough, good enough to win both world championships when they were promptly bought out by Mercedes. So in terms of story, I, I got to put my thumb on the scale for that. The Braun GP, of course, only won uh, eight races, I believe, in 20, 2009, but it did so by winning six of the first seven, effectively locking up the championship before Red Bull could really catch up. And it was a revelation of a year for Jensen Button, who had always been pretty good, but took a really late career leap to great that really upheld as he was next to Lewis Hamilton at McLaren. 
The other thing about the Braun GP car I really love is that it's really ugly. And I mean that in an endearing way. It is a livery that is only possible if you are throwing together two colors to look unique on an F1 grid that is fully saturated. It is white with highlighter highlights. And all of those highlighter highlights lead to that beautiful diffuser, which is the only really creative trick that can win you six of the first seven races in a year if Honda comes up with it a full year in advance. That was the thing that was so effective and so innovative that they needed to get that car on the grid in any possible way, which is how you get a team being sold for one pound to somebody who eventually flips it to Mercedes for real money. Yeah, the, the way that that diffuser worked, and, and you would be the expert here, so correct me if I'm wrong, is that they found a way to use the top edge of the diffuser to sort of force the new, for 2009, mandated rear crash structure design to actually have some type of aerodynamic benefit. So they called it the double-decker diffuser, even though what was officially the diffuser was just the one piece, they were able to use the mandated crash structure for aerodynamic benefit based on a sort of trick diffuser design that, I mean, to be fair, Williams and Toyota also came up with for 2009. Braun were just able to, Honda originally, and then Braun were just able to do it better. But if you look at, I mean, Toyota nearly winning almost for the for the only time in their in their in their F1 experience uh, at Bahrain in 2009, but of course the Braun GP was better, and the Braun GP had the advantage of two very hungry drivers uh, who had been desperate to prove that they were more than just people who happened to be on the grid for ten years at the same time, and it had the advantage of a Ross Braun who was. Uh, pretty done with the experience of running Honda, but not as done with Formula One as anybody had quite expected. Uh, they did, however, have the disadvantage of eventually being sold to Mercedes, which stopped their ability to build any legacy as a private team, stopped their ability to become the Williams of the 2010, which, of course, Williams is certainly not. Uh, what they became instead was Mercedes, and Mercedes instead put together a pretty solid string of cars at the beginning of the V6 Turbo era, uh, cars strong enough that Lewis Hamilton was free to have a full-on punch-for-punch punch championship fight with Nico Rosberg, which is unthinkable even today, even in this car, even if we're stopping were to do that with Perez, I think we'd be getting to the point at this point in the year where there's actually a real chance the McLarens could have been catching them. Uh, because Hamilton and Rosberg were so free with each other that if they were to both retire from the race because of a mistake either made, Mercedes was just fine with it. That is all the time we have for this installment of The Pit Straight. Thank you very, very much to Fred Smith for coming on for this special two-parter. Um, if you want more of his thoughts, check him out on the Twitter at FredSmith914. You can follow me at Jack Swansea, and you can follow FrontStretch at FrontStretch and FS Open Wheel. Check back next week as Fred Smith and I continue our quest to arrive at the greatest race car of all time. Just a quick preview for you. We open the Florida non-F1 suggestions and do reach a definitive conclusion. In the meantime, if you just can't get enough front stretch racing content, check out the podcast of my good friend Brian Timothy Dale Nolan tomorrow, bringing the heat.